Welcome to Potter Revisited, episode 35. Today we are discussing chapter 17 of Chamber of Secrets, The Heir of Slytherin. Or, as we like to call it, how come you've got a sword? So, we start off where we left off, which is Harry jumping into the dark void in the bathroom. <laughs> and he's in the Chamber of Secrets. Ooh. Now, Harry's description of the chamber, how, like, tall all these pillars are and how dark and gloomy everything is. I'm just wondering how far under the school is Harry? Yeah, I, I concur. I really think what we need is like a vertical map of Hogwarts because there are so many secret chambers and floors. Like they take the third floor down to the secret chessboard and the first. And now we're going into another chamber and I really need like a clear vertical understanding of like which floors, which things are and actually how many floors there are and how many of them are secret. Because I think that would be um, really important to know. I also think it's really funny how like beautiful the architecture is down there. Like he describes it as kind of scary, but I see it as like a Gothic era architecture and like the sculptures and the carvings. And it just makes me think of like young-ish Salazar Slytherin is down there like interior decorating with magic he's like oh i don't know should i go with a rococo style or we're we going to go more of a nouveau like magically carving sculptures and deciding between corinthian and dark columns you know and that makes me really happy those are the priorities secret dungeon snake interior design those are the priorities yeah it's very uh interesting just like yeah like it's just like this huge chamber i think in the movie it's more like tunnels and stuff and there's just one chamber but it seems just so huge the way harry describes like all these pillars he's walking around and like these glittering eyes of, this, of all the snakes down there just staring at him and like the statue of salazar is described as like basically a full human statue size of him yeah i mean like in the i think in the in the movies, it's just like his head and the snake comes out of his mouth. There's not even yeah. torso, but it's like, yeah, it's a full humanoid statue foot to toe or foot to head <laughs> of Salazar, which is. Yeah. And that's himself. Talk about being immodest. He's down there magically sculpting himself. What a guy. Ego. Well, Harry finds Jenny and she is what he thinks is dead like she's cold and her eyes are closed but harry doesn't know how to check a pulse or anything of course i mean he's 11 or 12 what do you expect yeah i mean i don't even think i can check my pulse correctly so who knows if i'm alive out from the shadows comes tom myrtle who harry knows is like over 50 years old and damn you look good for your age yeah and he's just very confused because he knows he can't really be a ghost because he's holding Harry's wand. Well, he's not holding Harry's wand at first because Harry sees Ginny and feels the need to fling his wand aside because that's the thing to do in dark, scary chambers with someone who's potentially been abducted and dying on the floor. You should definitely discard your one weapon. It's it's the right thing to do. <laughs> not very smart. <laughs> yeah, they have pockets, damn it. Use those pockets. We don't all get them. But yeah, Tom Riddle comes out and Harry is just very calm meeting Tom Riddle. Like he's like not really questioning why Tom Riddle is there in his 16-year-old self's form. Yeah, he seems like too preoccupied with the like severity of everything going on to realize the actual severity of what's going on. It's kind of like what you talk about with Harry where he just like things happen and he just like, oh, it's magic. This is normal because he doesn't have Ron there to be like, this is 100% not normal. Or Hermione there to be like, what 
an idiot. Exactly. So yeah, Harry's just very calm. He's like, oh, this is Tom Riddle from the diary. And he's just here holding my wand. Yeah, and then Tom DeMort, Tom DeMort does in fact pick up Harry's wand, which is interesting because like imagine if like future Voldemort knew that he in that moment in his possession had had the brother wand, you know, the twin core wand, his wand. Like be interesting if like, you could communicate with different time periods version of yourself, kind of like you can communicate with through paintings. <laughs> like future Voldemort could be like, hey, past Voldemort, guess what? Yeah, I do wonder, like, since he's holding the brother wand, like, what would have happened if he attempted to use it? Not only because he's a memory, like, he's not technically real, but he still is, seems to be able to, like, hold things and potentially do magic. So I don't know what the wand would have done if, like, it's brother or the owner of this, his brother's wand is holding it, can they do magic with it or not? Or if anything weird would happen? Yeah, it's, it would be an interesting uh, thought experiment to battle out the two, the Horcrux fighting, the Horcrux fighting the wand that's, that doesn't want to hurt its brother. That Yeah, Horcrux versus Horcrux. <laughs> and then the phoenix arrives and he's like, bitch, that's my feather. <laughs> it's all very complicated deep next level wand gossip. I, I think that maybe the ability to hold things like the corporeality, I guess, the physicality of the memory has a little bit to do with how fresh the like life it's acquired is. Like Ginny's still dying and he's still getting more and more life in him as Ginny dies. So I suppose like earlier on when he just started sucking Ginny's soul out, he might've been able to not pick it up. Yeah. That's what I'm assuming is that because he references the fact that like he's stronger now because of all the secrets Jenny told him. So he's becoming more, I guess, real as like Jenny's starting to fade. He's taking like her life force or something. Very creepy. But uh, we basically, well, Harry is confronted with the knowledge that Tom Riddle isn't actually a decent guy <laughs> this whole time. He's been talking Tom Riddle in diary. He's like, Tom is like this friend. He's like always had and he feels so connected to him well tom's not a nice guy he's kind of a dick harry's main priority is getting jenny out of here and not running into the basilisk and he's like help me tom help me and tom's just like you know what we got it's fine like he's like i'm just gonna sit here and hold your wand and not help you and the funniest thing is that um tom wants to talk about harry harry's just like we're in the chamber of secrets we can talk later i'm a little busy at the moment tom i don't know if you know about this but there's an evil chamber under the school with a giant snake in it i don't know if anyone's ever told you that before yeah he's just like not very like really comprehending the fact that tom's just there and it's just very weird until later on. It's a little like Harry's trying to mansplain the situation to Voldemort and doesn't realize that he's the expert on the situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He tells Harry about all the things that he did to kind of, you know, win his trust over. And I always find it interesting that I kind of always overlook this, but the fact that Hagrid and Tom Riddle were basically Voldemort were peers in what is high school. And it's just like the fact that like Voldemort's like only like a few years older than Hagrid. That's something you think about. It's strange because, like, we know that, like, the Death Eaters were already formed and sort of worshipping Voldemort when, like, Lucius and Snape and stuff were in school. Lucius being older than Snape. So, like, it makes Hagrid feel so much older than you would think. Because to me, he can't be that much older than, like, their parents. But he is, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's... He looks good for his age. We know that, like, Tom Riddle basically confers that he is Voldemort and Voldemort is him. He's so dramatic too, eh? Voldemort's all, Voldemort is my past, my present, and my future. You know, teenagers 
everything has to have a flourish of the dramatics. It's interesting the fact that like he has the consciousness of what Voldemort knew in the future, what would be the future for him. Like he he wants to know all about Harry and how he survived Voldemort and didn't die. But thing is, like the diary is supposed to be just his memories of his time from sixteen on. So it's just like so you want to know sort of how it knows everything Voldemort knows about Harry's past year and a half. I think Ginny told him. I think Ginny was like, I have a crush on this boy named Harry, and he was like, Oh, tell me about Harry. And, and she's like, well, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, wow, Harry sounds cool. Tell me more about Harry. And she's like, well, he's so brave. His first year, he fought off Lord Voldemort. And Tom's like, hmm, say what? You know? I just feel like he knows a lot about Voldemort. And that's what Harry's kind of like. That's before, after your time. Like, how do you know this? And he's like, I know everything. So I just kind of wonder if it's like the souls of the Horcruxes. Like, they're aware of every part of you like even your past and future selves Mm, maybe that's scary i don't think i'd like my past or future self yeah (laughs) i just think it's funny how much like time and effort tom demort had to put into like a bonding supportive friend to like an 11 year old girl so i can just imagine him trying that as a person who's never been a real person let alone an 11 year old girl being like "Ooh, tell me about harry is he cute oh lavender sounds like such a jerk how dare she say that to you what's your favorite class who's your best friend like like 11 year old girl style bonding coming from Voldemort. Like I can picture it in my mind. He's using like a fluffy pink pen with glitter. It's a unicorn notebook. It's hilarious. He's got one of those Lizzie McGuire phones. <laughs> Voldemort's like a master manipulator. Like we know from seeing like memories and stuff of him, like he's able to kind of like, he just tells people what they want to hear. And Dumbledore is really the only one that like can see through it, that he's putting on an act. Like, you know, that general like sociopaths and stuff, you just kind of mirror like, they don't feel things, but they're just mirroring what like they see in society to like manipulate people. But he can't have seen much of eleven-year-old girls, right? Because he was like locked away in like Lucius Malfoy's closet for a while or whatever. And then Ginny was it? So he had to like everything he learned about eleven-year-old girls. He had to learn from Ginny, kind of. What I find interesting is that when he's talking about telling her that he was Voldemort and how he created that name when he was in school, but he says that his most intimate friends referred to him as that but we know that he didn't have friends he had followers so it's just interesting how tom riddle as of 16 was like oh yeah my my friends called me this but we know that like he doesn't have friends yeah i mean maybe he referred to them at friends at the time because he didn't know what friends were like if you've never had friends and you haven't lived long enough to see what real friendship is maybe teenage him thought the people that follow him around and do his homework for him or whatever are his friends because they help him out you know he didn't realize the difference yet. It's also something Harry can relate to. Like, he's talking about, like, he's talking to 12-year-old Harry, and to Harry, like, this most important thing to him is his friends. So he's like, my friends called me this name. And also, he, uh, it's interesting that uh, he notes that the reason he changed his name, because he didn't want to share it with his father, because, not because his father was a muggle, and he hates muggles, but because his father abandoned his mother. So it almost feels like a bit more human from Voldemort, because we know in the past... Yeah, I mean, it's he, he is more human, right? He's he's only one missing piece of a soul. The rest of Voldemort was yeah. more human when it happened. Yeah, so we know later on that Voldemort rejected his... He killed his father and stuff. It was more because his father was a muggle, and he hated that side of himself. But here, it's more just... It's very real, being like, my father abandoned me. And so I don't want to be associated with him because he left me and abandoned my mother. And it's just a very real kind of um, trauma. Teenage, teenager as well. Like the way he says it is very like, you, he hurt my mother, you know? 
Like, he's not only human, but he's a teenage boy human, which is different than all the other types of humans. It's also very real how Harry kind of has its internal thought, but he's seeing the teenage boy who, when he grows up, grows up to kill his parents and other people. But he's seeing the teenage version of it, which is very, like, it's very hard to, um, I guess, comprehend that, like, where you're seeing someone before they became bad. And Harry is the person that, like, felt very close to Tom Riddle and, like, sees parts of himself in Tom Riddle. The fact that he's an orphan and all these, like, kind of similarities that he thought, like, really connected them. And he's, but this is the person that grows up to hurt Harry and cause him trauma. I think this is the beginning of that little thought in the back of Harry's mind that turns into the discussion he has with Sirius at Grimmauld Place about, like, what if I'm bad? Mm -hmm. You know? Like, this is the beginning of him thinking, like, this guy didn't seem so bad, and he turned into this, and I could relate to him at times before. How do we know I won't turn into that? Which I don't think is something Voldemort does intentionally, because he doesn't want to stir up that sort of feeling of similarity in Harry, but I think it's a very effective weapon that Voldemort accidentally wields. I do think it's really hard to think when you think of someone that has harmed you so deeply that you only think of them as this this one thing that they did to you. But Harry's seeing that this person before he did that, and it's like, it's having to like decompartmentalize that like these two people are the same person and they both like, like they did this thing. Yeah, it's easier to just hate someone than it is to have conflicting feelings. You don't want to have sympathy for someone who does horrible things because that's more mental work. It's easier to just say they're a terrible person. I hate them. They've always been a terrible person. Yeah, well, Harry, uh, after learning that he's Voldemort, has decided that he is Dumbledore's man through and through as, you know, Voldemort's just roasting Dumbledore, you know, and Harry Slate. Yeah, Voldemort's out there saying, I'm the greatest wizard of all time, and little sassy 12-year-old Harry Potter's like, sorry, but uh, you're not the greatest wizard? That's actually Dumbledore. <laughs> it's he just like, well, actually, is Voldemort about the situation. He's like, no offense, but no. Yeah, I do like how he's just saying, like, you won't even try and take over Hogwarts because Dumbledore's here, and he calls him, like, ugly and foul, and... He calls him ugly that's (laughs) it's kind of my favorite part like harry potter just calling voldemort ugly is just such a fun and specific like spoiler for past voldemort like hey just so you know spoil alert you get unhot so enjoy your rather attractive young ghost self now because you're gonna lose your nose you're gross you're nothing yeah it's just very 12 year old but like very 12 year old you're dumb and you're ugly and you're stinky and i don't like you yeah but we definitely get early on like dumbledore's really been like pushing this whole loyalty thing this whole book to harry and here he is like defending dumbledore dumbledore's not there he's indoctrinated yep (laughs) it's already happened which is why a uh, fox comes down to the dungeon, or not to the dungeon, to the chamber, because apparently Harry was like showing Dumbledore loyalty, which then, of course, like I guess, brings about about Fox. I feel like Fox is to Dumbledore as I am to Severus Snape. Where like if someone in the distance says his name, I just show up like, did somebody say like that meme? Snape? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just wonder what like, kind of magic kind of enables Fox to come to Harry. Because I'm assuming that phoenixes are very loyal creatures, and there's kind of like a connection or a tether between them and their owners. So Fox, of course, is like almost like a part of Dumbledore, and like there must be some kind of magic that is kind of like when someone like is like protecting them they are able to i guess like come serve them like in lieu of yeah it's like a very next level familiar thing i find like in classic witch lore the familiar really has the ability to like 
almost sense who's on the side of their master or their witch and know how they can help that person without having to have seen the two interact really that much. It definitely seems like a planned thing because Dumbledore spent like a couple chapters talking about loyalty and then he sends Fox with the sorting hat. So like he had to have an idea of like what would have happened. So And he has to tell Fox what to bring. So Fox isn't like, right, gotta go save Harry. What do I bring? Ooh, a worm. <laughs> like It brings him that hat. So Dumbledore knew this the whole time. Oh, and Harry is kind of telling Voldemort about like why he couldn't be killed and stuff. Voldemort's just like, oh, there's something special about you. I always thought there was because there's so many like similarities between us. And I'm thinking he caused those similarities. Like he, according to the prophecy, he went after Harry because Harry was a half-blood like him. And he's the one that he, the re- he's the reason why he's like an orphan like him. He's the reason why he can speak parcel tongue. It's just like he caused all these things. So it's all his fault is basically what I'm saying. Yeah. It's entirely his fault. You reap what you sow. So yeah, he caused it all. Um, I also find Fox has the most perfect, wonderful, dramatic timing. Like just as Harry's being like, I need help. Someone help me. Someone help me. And then in comes Fox. Like perfect timing, majestic wings. It's like Fox was already there waiting around the corner. Like I'm waiting for the right moment. Dumbledore says to always bring the drama. So I have to wait for my entrance line. (laughs) He needs a grand entrance. Tom Brady unleashes the Basilisk to kill Harry, and Harry's like, oh shit. So he's just running around blind because he doesn't want to open his eyes, which is kind of smart, but yeah, he like knocks himself, almost knocks himself out like multiple times. But then Fox is, uh, she punctures the eyes out of the Basilisk, which I do remember, but I don't remember it being described so gruesomely. Like, this is for children, and I definitely read this when I was a child, but like, Reading it now, I'm like, oh, it's kind of gross. Like, I hate eyeball stuff. Like, it is my number one thing I cannot handle. Like, I watch a lot of scary movies. I read a lot of scary books. I don't do well with eyeball stuff. So it's very... Yeah, the movie just doesn't make it as gross as it's described. Because I think in the movie, it's all seen with, like, a shadow. Probably to keep their, like, PG, like, rating. But in, in the book, it's like, describing, like, the blood and, like, the, how the punctured eyes look. And it's really gross. <laughs> like, I can't... Yeah, I was just like, I didn't really expect it to be that kind of gross, but you know. Yeah, and it was, turns out, (laughs) it was gross. Very interesting that Harry decides to put the hat on. It's kind of thrown at him and he's just like, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to throw this hat on. (laughs) I mean, that's totally what I would do in that situation. If someone gives you a hat... You're like, well, what do you do with a hat? You you put it on your head. Clearly, that's the only, you know, this hat is somehow going to help me out. Hats go on your head. Maybe it'll be a protective shield hat. Maybe it's an invisibility hat. I don't know, but he gave me a hat. Yeah. So. Dumbledore is very lucky that Harry didn't knock himself out because he puts the hat on and he's asking for help. And the sword just appears in the hat and like falls on his head. Yeah, honestly, it's uh, pretty ridiculous that he puts that on his head, the sword falls out. I love it. Like, it's goofy. Like, it's, like, goofy, childish. Like, there's moments, like, the eyeball description where you're like, this is a kid's book. And there's moments like this where they're like, of course this is a kid's book. He put the hat on his head and the sword fell out. That's so goofy. And, like, they didn't even do it like that in the movie because it's almost too goofy to keep up with, like, the drama and the suspense of the actual scene because it's just so goofy. It's just like, ah, a sword fell out of my hat. Like, that's not a rabbit. So Harry, of course, battles the basketball. It's very drawn out in the movie. So when we do our movie review, we can see how much, like action they put into it but it's just a very like 
short part in the chapter was just Harry battling the basilisk. And so he just basically takes the sword, stabs it in the mouth, which happens in the movie. And then a basilisk vein pierces Harry's arm. And I find that really interesting because we do learn that a basilisk venom is basically one of the only things that can destroy a horcrux. And Harry is technically a horcrux. Yeah. So why is his horcrux not gone? Well, I mean, he was dying. So I do find it would have been interesting if it had died with like the ho- bit of horcrux that's in Harry also die. I feel like, yeah, if Harry had died, it would have died as well. Because it feels like the horcrux piece always uses the casing to protect itself. Mm-hmm. So if there were any magic healing powers being put into the body, the horcrux would absorb it first before allowing the rest of its case to get better. So I feel like for Harry to get better, the Horcrux had to get better as well. Another part of the Horcrux that I thought was interesting was that uh, Tom, when Harry doesn't die and Tom Riddle is basically going to be like, okay, we're going to duel. It's basically Horcrux versus Horcrux. Harry, the way he grabs at the diary, he doesn't really think about stabbing it. It's just like he had just like this feeling and that he had to stab it. And I'm wondering if that's the Horcrux being like, you need to kill this thing because it's, it's trying to destroy us. Because we do know that Horcrux is... Because it would do anything to protect its, which is what it was doing in that moment. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like when Harry faced uh, Quirrell at, in the last book. Like, we talked about maybe it was the Horcrux trying to protect itself, which is the reason why it attacked, like, Quirrell so, like, vehemently. Because, like, above all, it wants to protect itself. So Harry stabs the diary and Humbertle is destroyed. It's like Voldemort killed that piece of Voldemort. Yep. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> It's like he didn't realize he was so selfish that pieces of himself would value themselves over other pieces of himself. He was so unself-aware that all the pieces of himself, probably if given the opportunity, would destroy the other pieces to be the superior <laughs> piece. Like, yeah. But we don't know that he's kind of, he overlooks very obvious things because he just has no empathy. Like he doesn't think about things like that. So Jenny is awakened after Tom Riddle is destroyed and she is crying and she's a mess and she's, traumatized i poor jenny she's really been through it honestly she's definitely gonna need a lot of therapy not just for having been possessed and the physical toll and almost dying in the physical toll but like the emotional toll of being invaded like it's so invasive to be possessed to have them so inside of you and then like the trust issues of having opened herself up to someone who she thought was there to support and care for her and having that completely turns it against her and then the fact that even though it wasn't her fault because she was possessed but she did hurt people and she did cause fear in the school and her actions did bring out a lot of the worst in a lot of people because it stirred up all that racism in the school so like she's gonna need so much therapy on so many different levels i just feel wonder how it's gonna affect jenny because we know that she doesn't really talk about what she went through until or the phoenix when she describes like her experiences to harry when he thinks he's been possessed but i think even going into prisoner of Azkaban, like how do you go back to school when you spent like the whole year being possessed? Like we don't really know if she's made any friends or anything. And then everyone, we don't, I, I assume people had found out that it was her and she's possessed. But how do you go into like a social environment when everyone knows what you did? Like, it's just, yeah. And her trust, like being able to trust anyone. Her trust had to be like zero. Like she had to be absolutely in such a position of not trust. I feel like, you probably start your next year looking for superficial friendships. You're not willing to trust anyone, but you want to have people around you so you're not a noticeable target. So she probably did a lot of like helping people with their homework and just being really polite and like complimenting people on their new sweater and stuff. So people would like shallow level like her and she didn't actually share any of her personal stuff because she wasn't trusting enough. And I'm sure to some extent 
with 12 year olds it was interesting that she got possessed it was interesting that she got stoned like so she had an opportunity something about her that made her a little interesting to other people that she could passively use enough to sort of form some bonds just enough to like stay afloat socially but i think it plays a big part in who Ginny becomes later on because she becomes such a badass who kind of like doesn't give a shit what people think about her and she's outspoken and she's rough and tumble and she just like She's like, this is how I see it, and that's what I'm going to do. So good luck, everyone. I do find it interesting that her and Hermione also become very close. Like, we know that, like, especially in, like, a Goblet of Fire, like, she confides in Hermione, which we know about Harry, which Hermione gives her the advice to, you know, just, like, leave it alone. Like, date other people. Harry will come around. Hermione gives excellent boy advice because she's notorious for her excellent, excellent work in the dating life. (laughs) But then, like, it's kind of nice though because like Hermione's also like was someone that she attacked probably feels bad about it because it's one of her brother's closest friends yeah but the fact that it's like Hermione is probably the one person that would kind of get understanding about it Ginny becomes such a badass she really does and it's interesting to wonder like how much she support she sort of gets after this because now Ron's gone through a weird traumatic thing too because he's went into the chamber and like there's always so much going on with a family that big especially because they're all Gryffindors who jump into danger that like it would be it's interesting to wonder like how much individual like support she could have gotten at home like the summer after you know and yet she still still somehow managed to like not be an absolute unstable mess for the next few years like it's very impressive. I do wonder uh, when Janice uh, kind of crying to Harry about like her getting expelled and stuff. And she mentions that she couldn't tell him about the, what she thought because Percy was there. And did she really think that Percy would turn her in if she kind of confessed to him that, like, she thinks she's the one attacking people? I mean, Percy is pretty judgmental. It feels like where he is right now, there's a lot of, like, black and white in his way of seeing things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he would probably be slightly more sympathetic than she thinks. Like, she was possessed. She didn't know better. She wasn't doing anything. Yeah, I do think with Ginny, Percy really has that kind of, like, older brother instinct. And I do think because there's so many years between them that he's more sympathetic towards her. Also because she is the only girl. And because she's not Fred and George and Ron who kind of, like, give him crap and stuff. Like, she's generally, she's a, a lot younger. So he feels more protected towards her. And I think for him, it's a lot about, like, intention to break the rules. Like, Ginny never intentionally broke the rules with an exception of breaking into the boy's bedroom to steal the diary back and that's not what got her possessed she was doing that in a defensive way sort of to protect harry if she had somehow got like she'd stolen the diary from a bookstore and then all of this had happened i think percy would have been pretty judgmental he's like you did something wrong and you faced very serious consequences but she did nothing wrong until she was possessed like writing in a diary is good and healthy behavior and like so i think Percy would have latched on to like at no point when she was not possessed did she break a rule intentionally or anything like that so he wouldn't blame her personally I just think that that's sort of the way his black and white thinking works but I also can see why she wouldn't talk to him because he's not the most understanding he's he does have that way of thinking and when you're the one who's done something and is unsure of yourself you're going to be 100% more critical of yourself so in her mind he's gonna see her as guilty immediately and treat her like a bad guy. It's also the point that he might have not believed her because she's just thinking that she's gone crazy and she's like, well, I don't remember where I was at these points and I think it's me. And he he, he might be like, oh, you're just like not sleeping. Rationalize. Like it, it can't be you. Like, don't worry about it. Like, I just don't think maybe he believed her. He just doesn't seem like the most emotionally supportive 
of the siblings. You know, like if I'm Ginny and I'm worried about something like that, Ron makes sense because they're close in age and they probably have a slightly closer relationship. I almost think that I would go to the twins first. There's a risk that they take it too much as a joke, but I think realistically they've broken enough rules intentionally and unintentionally to sort of have a better understanding of it, I think. Like I feel like they are more emotionally driven than like Percy and I think they'd be a safer person to talk to. I mean, going back to Ron, they kind of go through the hole that he's dug out, and Ron has said that Lockhart has lost his whole memory, so he doesn't know who he is, where he is, what's going on, which is super funny. Hilarious. Justice. I also love Ron's just like, how come you've got a sword? Like, there's 101 things he could ask Harry. What happened? Who did this? How did you save Ginny? Ginny, what happened? But he starts with, how'd you get a sword? I mean, I think that'd be like the what the biggest thing when you first see your friend, he's covered in like blood and slime and Ginny. And then he's like, oh, Ginny's okay. And then Harry just has this sword and like they're 12. Swords are cool. And he's just like, where, where did you get a sword? I want a sword. Yeah, because Harry went in there with just his wand, nothing else. And he comes out holding this really cool sword. I turned my wand into a, not even like, where'd the bird come from? He's like, where'd you get the sword? I would love one. Yep. Oh my gosh. So I have a couple, uh, you know, me and my fun thought experiments as I do. So Harry's a Gryffindor and he pulls the Gryffindor sword out of Gryffindor's hat, which makes sense. And it's the only thing you can pull out of the hat because it was Gryffindor's hat and Gryffindor's sword, blah, blah, blah. But in a much more entertaining world, if each house had something they could pull out of the sorting hat, what do you think it would be? Mm -hmm. So I've done some thinking on this and I think that like for Hufflepuff, it would be a magic translation quill, which would be some sort of quill you can use to write with and then to hand to someone else to write with that automatically translates what's written into a language you understand. I like this because it can be used for communication. It can help bond friendships between different groups, but also it can help you in dangerous situations, whether it means befriending someone who can get you out of there or understanding what's being said more. So like it can be both defensive and non-combative at all, but it's also very like, to me, Hufflepuff, you know, adding friendships, increasing bonds, communicating with others kind of makes sense to me. And then for Ravenclaw, it's hard because there's so much to Ravenclaw. Like part of me is like an encyclopedia, but like a really good encyclopedia. But another part of me thinks maybe like an etch-a-sketch because <laughs> they're creative. You can etch-a-sketch out what you're thinking. But um. Another thing I have, there's this like theory that memory works like a desk, like everyone has a, a brain desk that they store things. And like you have drawers where you forget things. And if you reach around long enough, you'll find what you're looking for. And then like organized drawers. So I think for Ravenclaw, it would be cool if the thing they pull out of the hat is something that lets them physically access their brain desk. So they have the opportunity to go in and better organize their own knowledge and like touch and feel their own memories. It kind of makes me think of like a VR kind of like helmet thing. Yes. Very much like going into a VR of your own mind. And they can do things like open up their drawer on textbooks they've read and find a particular piece of knowledge or go into their childhood and like re-see a memory. There's a TV show. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but there's a magic house with keys in it. And uh, there's a key that lets you unlock your mind. And everyone's mind is like a different room or something that relates to who they are as a person. And they just have like shelves of like all their memories. So like one lady loves antiques. So it's like an antique store. And one girl loves to shop and it looks like a cute boutique, but it's your own like memories. I feel like that would be really cool for Ravenclaws. Because it's not the best, like, in the moment, like, spur of the moment, but it gives you the opportunity to go through and, like, prepare better. Like, you can prepare yourself a drawer of all your com 
combative spells and like memories of distrustful people and like prepare yourself ahead of time for those dangerous situations, which to me is very Ravenclaw. And then for Slytherin, it took me a while because they're there's so much to them. First, I was like, like a poison-tipped dagger or something. And then I was like, no, that's that's dumb. That's not what it is. Um, I think it would be something like the Mirror of Erised. But instead of seeing your heart's desire, you see someone else's biggest fear. So I don't know if it would work like a pair of glasses or something you look through. But if you look through it, you see that person's biggest fear, which... That's kind of cool. It's kind of almost like a bogart, almost. You're just like capitalizing on what someone's scared of yeah kind of which is which could be how they make it the magic they used to make it could involve a bog art in some way but like you see it they don't see it so they might not know that's their biggest fear but you can see it and then you have the opportunity as all Slytherins do to use it to manipulate or take advantage of someone or use it to like protect them and be kind to them and help them because I think that's very cool and sort of open-ended but uh those are my theories on, so we, uh, what do I call it? I think I call it the cape of fear. <laughs> <laughs> you put on a cape because that sounds awesome and you can see if their greatest fear. Do you have any closing remarks for this chapter before we wrap up? Not enough Snape in this chapter. Of course. <laughs> in that there was no Snape in this chapter. I'm just thinking that Hogwarts needs to get like a property survey done so they know all these like... <laughs> I want my vertical map. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Potter Revisited, and we'll be back for the last chapter of Chamber of Secrets, Chapter 18, Dobby's Reward. Woot woot. Bye, everybody. Don't forget to like and, and follow and, and subscribe. And Yeah, and if you have any questions or thoughts or theories or anything you want us to talk about in the next uh, chapter or two. If you'd like to tell us our podcast is dumb, feel free. Yeah. You can reach out on social media at Pottery Visited, or you can email us at PotteryVisitedPodcast at gmail.com. We also have a podcast survey up right now, which you can go to on the link below in the podcast description or anywhere on our social media pages, where we're just like, wonder what you think about the podcast and ways we can improve. And yeah, we will see you next time. Bye.